0: Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nlutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson.com at nllutheran.com. Welcome back to the New Life Lutheran podcast. I'm Pastor Ben. With me is Pastor Eric, and he'll be Guiding us through some leadership principles for leading a life group. Now, right away, leadership, that's an intimidating word. A lot of times when we think of, of leaders, we, th- we think of generals and presidents and coaches and, and all these top tier CEOs and things like that. So right away and unintentionally, that word is, is scary and we kind of put ourselves in a box where we might not fit And so we want to unpack that today and maybe kind of clarify that maybe you are actually fit really well, maybe perfectly to lead a life group. And so we're going to talk through what that looks like, what that feels like, and how you can accomplish that goal. Maybe even if you've never led a single thing in your life, because here's the reality. Leadership is simply influence and every one of us has influence. In fact, even those who are not educated or or have even used those gifts before, we influence somebody, whether it's our kids or our friends or our neighbors. And so what we want to do today is to simply equip you and challenge you and encourage you to lead in the space where God might be leading you to lead a life group, to lead a a group of friends or family uh, on their spiritual journey, to connect closer in the relationship with Christ and experience the transformation that he offers and so what we're going to do today is we're just going to walk through kind of an introductory conversation into leading a life group. And so we're going to have Pastor Eric, who's our our discipleship pastor, who coordinates and leads and equips and empowers all of our life groups to answer these questions. So you can hear it right from the source. But we're just going to start right away into this conversation by talking about the, the call to leading a life group. And so can you kind of clarify... Um, what a call looks like for leading a life group, and 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 to really help that uh, people understand that terminology and what that looks
1: like in their lives. Yeah. So first of all, uh, Pastor Ben, welcome back. It's been something like ten or twelve episodes um, since you've been on. So glad to have you back. Thank you for um, hosting. I was hibernating during the fall <laughs> and so <laughs> hiding away as we were getting prepared for Christmas and everything like that. Um, yeah. So uh, so first of all, when we um, talk about leading a life group, I I want to, um, really define what that, uh, the, the call of a leader in a life group or, uh, what the role of the leader really is. Um, and so as we know, um, we can be called to lots of different things, you know, uh, we're called to, um, if we're if we have kids, we're called to be a parent. If we have uh, a spouse, we're called to be a spouse. If we um, if we have a mom and a dad that's still alive, we're called to be a child. If we're a factory worker, we're called to be a factory worker, etc., etc. But um, one call that everybody has that everybody has in common. Um, is a call into what we um, in, in Lutheranism and I guess in all Protestantism call um, the priesthood of all believers. And that is that in your baptism, you are brought into the ministry that everybody is a part of. And usually when we think about that language, we just think of pastors. Uh, but pastors are just one uh, one type of, of service in the grand scheme of God's ministry to the world. So God um, interacts with the world. He, um, he, he touches down to the world in several places. Um, and, and now that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and has given us the Holy Spirit, we see that there are about three or four ways that Jesus touches that, that God touches down into um, the life of the church. Um, and we see that in the small call articles, which is part of our Lutheran confessions in part three, article four. Um, Martin Luther writes this, we will now return to the gospel, which is not merely, which not merely in one way gives us counsel and aid against sin, for God is super abundantly rich in his grace. Um, So essentially, Martin Luther is saying, hey, God speaks to us, um, the gospel, he gives us his promises, he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us his life, Um, many ways, he's super abundantly rich in how he gives us this gospel. Uh, so, Martin Luther continues on, first, through the spoken word by which the forgiveness of sins is preached, that is the scripture, right, in the whole world, um, in the whole world, which is the peculiar office of the gospel. Um, so, so the the word of the Lord is uh, a kind of a special, it holds a special place in the life of the church. Secondly, through baptism, which is where we receive the promises. Um, And we become children of God. Uh, Thirdly, through the holy sacrament of the altar. um, So that would be holy communion. And then this is the one that I want to focus on. Fourthly, through the power of the keys and also through the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. From Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together, etc. So in Matthew 18, Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit And he he kind of breathes the Holy Spirit into them. And then he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When you forgive sins on earth, they are forgiven in heaven. Um, And when you withhold forgiveness on earth, it is withheld in heaven. So Jesus actually hands over uh, what we call the office of the keys. Um, That's historically what it's been called. Um, But he hands over this authority to forgive sins and and essentially uh, kind of stand in the doorway between heaven and earth, and by one and and for some reason <laughs> he's given believers this he's he's told sinners to tell other sinners that they are forgiven on account of Jesus Christ, and so Martin Luther says this isn't only in confession and forgiveness, the office of the keys, but also through the mutual conversation and consolation of brethren. So it's not just a place for the pastor on Sunday morning to say you are forgiven, although we absolutely do that and we think that that's important. But it's also between um, believers as they go throughout their life, as they do their business. Believers can gather together and they can actually do this work of forgiving each other, kind of being the uh, of being the doorway to Jesus for each other by um, having good conversation. Um, by by sharing their life together and by giving each other forgiveness. So God's plan has always been, you notice um, in all four of these things that God uses, all four of these means of grace that God uses to give us the gospel, they're all done in community. The preached word is preached to us in a community. Baptism is done um, uh, mostly in the service into a community of believers. Um, Thirdly, through communion, which is done in a community of believers. And then fourthly, through forgiveness of sins in the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. So everything, God uses his creation to do his work. And uh, in this case, he gives us the gospel and the forgiveness of sins through sinful people. So, one sinful tongue says to another sinful person, you are forgiven, and it's it's done. So, God wants us to work out this salvation in a community of people. Um, I, so, for my wife and I, um, I and, and I'm sure that the podcast listeners have heard this several times now, but my wife and I have been going through this practice of uh, doing this forgiveness of sins for each other, of reminding each other that we're not a uh, good enough parent that we're not a good enough spouse, when we mess up, when we do something wrong, that we remind each other of that. We give each other freedom from uh, the necessity to be perfect. We remind each other that we're not perfect, that you absolutely are not good enough, um, but you are forgiven for that. And have if putting your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you what you need to do it. Um, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that we just need people in our lives that will do that. And that's what that's what friendship does. Um, friends are uh, good friends. The best kinds of friends are people who don't, um, who just won't stand um, any bull. You know, they won't they won't let you uh, continue in an unhealthiness. They're gonna they're gonna call you out. They're gonna be willing to say you're not good enough, uh, but they're also going to accept you even when you do mess up. They're gonna continue to let you in even when you do mess up. So. So, the language that I'm using here um, is this role of friendship, that friends uh, and friendship is that space where we do that mutual conversation and consolation, where we give each other the forgiveness of sins, where we work out our salvation with one another in the context of friends. My wife and I play that role for each other as well, but um, there are others, right? Other people other than your spouse that you can go and talk to and interact with and that do that work of giving you the gospel um, in very kind of mundane, normal ways. Um, as simple as being there when you're going through a hard time um, or calling you out when you're messing up, um, of actually telling you that, that God forgives you on account of Jesus Christ. Those are all things that we can do um, for each other um, as friends. And, uh, and so life groups, the call of leading a life group, is essentially navigating friendship, this kind of friendship, this mutual conversation and consolation. It's navigating uh, this kind of friendship with a group of people. So that doesn't require um, any sort of like uh, intense knowledge of the scripture. It doesn't require a seminary degree. It doesn't require any of those things. It requires a... uh, a willingness to learn, a willingness to grow, and a willingness to forgive one another. Right. So you really have to, yeah, you have to be willing to get down to the brass tacks. So willing to be vulnerable, willing to be authentic, um, and uh, and so that's what we're doing here. The call to leading a life group is a call to friendship, and is a call to helping a group of people navigate uh, the, their life as Christians together in the in the context of this friendship. As you guys are listening, I hope you
0: got a lot out of that already. Uh, I'm going to back up just a second. If you guys are listening and you're kind of new to Lutheranism Mm. or uh, maybe you attend New Life or maybe you're just listening because you're curious about it, uh, we've mentioned a few terms that maybe you weren't familiar with. And so this is just a quick backtrack to a lot of the conversations we've had before. But when we got into the Reformation and the Bible was available to everybody, people kind of ran in different directions as they best tried to understand an infinite God. And so, of course, we're fine with that, because we don't expect to know everything. In fact, to understand the totality of an infinite God would make him finite, by definition. And so we expect not to understand everything. Unfortunately, as Lutherans, what what we see is, as we look back in history, we see some damage done. And what happened was, there was such a uh, kind of disposition against the the Catholic Church that when people moved away from the Catholic Church they took everything that the Catholic Church was doing whether it was good or bad and basically brushed it to the side. And so if you're not a Lutheran if you are maybe you'd label yourself non-denominational or evangelical whatever term you're using when we went through those means of grace is what the Lutheran church would call it those ways that God connects with us and we connect with the king you're probably thinking, okay, I buy into the first one, right? The spoken word, I, I read the word, the pastor preaches to me, I listen to a podcast, I go through a Bible study, I get that. But how does the sacrament connect me to the king? How does mm. baptism connect me to the king? How does even the the keys connect me to the king? In fact, that one probably mm. is the one that's the newest to you. Mm. But as, as Lutherans, what we have done, very simply, is we read through the Bible— and we don't go to the Bible with our own preconceived notions or limitations we put on God. So very simply, we go to baptism and we say, okay, what does it say about baptism? And we see this amazing truth in First Peter that through baptism, we are saved. We're connected to the King through baptism. Now, of course, just as a little side note to kind of ease that tension is we do uh, say that you can reject God. Right, right. So even if you're baptized as an infant, um, you can reject God just as if you were baptized as an adult. You know, maybe you're you're fully in the kingdom, you're connected with Christ, but you you are baptized, you make that public profession, and then later on you're like, forget you, Jesus, right? And and you reject that and continue to reject the Holy Spirit, uh, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to pursue you and draw you back, and you just push him away. Uh, you have that uh, potential for rejection. Now, then we get into the sacrament of the altar, and once again, we just take the words for what it says, that Jesus says in, in John and in the other Gospels when we record the Last Supper, that, that God is using that to, once again, connect us to the King. And then once again, the, the keys is also connection. God gives us this amazing uh, ability. You know, Basically, he empowers us or uh, just allows us to, to speak for him to say, hey, you are forgiven, right? If you want to be in a relationship with God, you are forgiven. Therefore, once again, you are connected with the King. And so as Lutherans, what we have done is simply said, look, this is something the Catholic Church was teaching. It matches up with Scripture. And so we actually take a a myriad, a a pile of approaches to connect people to the King, and we don't just use one. And so we think that's biblical. And so if that helps you understand that and understand really the power that God offers through these things all of these things point people connect people to the king mm. to the transforming relationship in Jesus Christ and so we want to use all the tools at our disposal to accomplish that goal and so but like Pastor Eric said all of those things require community yeah. right you wouldn't baptize yourself you wouldn't have communion which literally means right commune community uh, with yourself and uh, the only thing that you can really do independently in that is is read Lord. read the word right? You can't even sit there and forgive yourself. Right. Uh, so there is really community involved in, in all of those things. And so I just want you to understand what we're talking about when we say those things, but that is the beauty of the friendship element within that life group is that it requires us to be connected and it allows us to experience God on multiple different levels. Mm-hmm. They're not available as lone ranger Christians.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I would also note that to just touch back down on that community point in, in, when Martin Luther was writing the small called articles that people did not have their own personal Bibles yet. Like that really wasn't a thing. The, 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 the way that we have our uh, books now with the binding and stuff, that was a fairly new invention then. And on top of that, most people couldn't actually read at a level high enough to be able to read and understand the scriptures. So when Martin Luther writes about the preached word, it's always the proclaimed word to us. It's always in the context of the congregation uh, because that's where you heard the scriptures. Um, that's why the lectionary texts are usually so long and you have uh, readings from the old Testament and the new Testament and a gospel is because this was the only place, the congregation was the only place that people could hear the scriptures. This was the only place that they could do that. And that's the way it's been. I mean, the, this, this, the Bible itself um, was was written and developed and canonized in the context of a congregation that it was being spoken to. Um, the The scriptures never the scriptures are almost they're out of context if they're not um, being if we're not reading it with the idea that it's supposed to be proclaimed to a congregation. They're not for um, me as Eric Anderson. They're for the congregation of believers. So even the word itself assumes the congregation. And if I can um, back up again, maybe another way to think about these means of grace. Um, as Lutherans, we understand um, that our God is a God who, who touches down to earth. We cannot reach up to God. Uh, and there's nothing we can do to reach up to God. God comes down to us. He's incarnational in nature, so everything He does is 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 uh, coming to us. It's always in, in our direction. It's God in search of man. Um, and so these means of grace are the kind of uh, physical places that God has touched down, and He is. given us promises associated with these kind of physical places that he touches down into earth Um, and so he uses his creation i like to say that god is a blue-collar god he rolls up his sleeves and he uses things like language and syntax through the scripture to tell us about himself he uses water um to communicate uh his saving grace and new birth. He uses bread and wine to communicate the sal- his the salvation he's giving us and the forgiveness of sins. And he uses a sinful tongue uh, to communicate his forgiveness to um, a sinful ear. So God always, God uses his creation to give his grace. And that's why these things specifically, uh, we as Lutherans are kind of like, uh, elevate these is because we recognize that these are the places that God has given us direct promises and they are um the well the, the fancy word is efficacious, that they they do in fact do something to us, not because of anything that we can do, but because they are done to us. Um so we kinda understand salvation and God's grace kind of like a um if you were to well if I were to come into your house and replace your heater, right? You, there's not a whole lot you can't you can't say yes. Come into my house and replace my heater. I'm going to come in. I'm going to replace it. Um, you can choose to use the heater or not. You can resist the grace that I've given you, um, but ultimately you can't be like, uh, yes, I I I accept I accept this heater into my home, right? Because it just it comes in and it does its work. Um, another way to think about it is that if you're on a yacht or cruise or whatever, if you were to fall off the edge and somebody saw you fall and they yell to the captain that somebody's a man overboard, the captain slows down the boat, gets it, you know, turned a little bit and they throw the life preserver out to you and you grab onto the life preserver. You're not a very strong swimmer. So they have to pull you up into the boat and you get up into the boat. They wrap you in a blanket and you say, did you see how I just saved myself? Um, That's kind of how we uh, approach God's grace is like, to say, oh, yeah, like I do something in my salvation is like that person saying, oh, man, did you see how how great I grabbed that life preserver? I'm the man. I'm so awesome. Um, because there's so much that had to happen for you to be saved uh, that had absolutely nothing to do with you. Um, you can resist the life preserver, but you can't get the life preserver into the water for you. Um, so that's kind of how we understand it. that Those means of grace are the places that God has touched down and given his salvation to us. And it's always in the context, context of community. So now we're going to get into kind of a little, another little recap.
0: We've, we talked about uh, really what life groups can do and kind of that design and, and really what you can do as a leader. Now we just want to really, really quickly recap an acronym that we have gone over before, but just kind of talking about really, really briefly, what is a life group? And then we're going to launch into what does it take to be a leader within a life group? And so go ahead, Eric. Why don't yeah. you just give us a
1: recap of yep. what is a life group? What am I leading? Yeah. So our definition of a life group is uh, it has it has five six has six parts to it. It's a natural expression of Christian community where believers are brought uh, believers are brought into closer relationship with God and with one another through life sharing, intentional caring, faithful living, and encouraged calling. That's the definition, a natural expression of Christian community where believers are brought into closer relationship with God and one another through life-sharing, intentional caring, faithful living, and encouraged calling. We have – earlier this year, we went through all those things, so if you want more details on that – You can uh, search for those. It was part of our table section um, when we were going through our strategy. So that was this summer we went through those things. So you can go back and hunt down um, those episodes in there in order, uh, and you can get more information there. Well,
0: hopefully those things weren't intimidating as we work through some of those uh, theological tensions and things like that and kind of what a life group is. Hopefully you're feeling comfortable with it. But if you aren't,
1: why don't we we have this conversation? What does it take to lead a life group? Yeah. So the first thing I want to give a couple caveats, because when people think of these kinds of small groups, these life groups, um, they immediately think, oh, I have to teach. And these life groups are not, if you, if you, you know, think about the definition of a life group, they are not primarily, uh, they are not for information transfer. They are not designed to, for a teacher or a leader to transmit information about God in the Bible to the participants in the life group. That is not what they are designed to do. There's a place for that. That's important. Um, But we have Bible studies here at the church. Um, We get a little bit of that on Sunday mornings because there's always kind of a teaching. uh, When we, when we preach the word generally Pastor Ben, you and I, we will do some teaching. There'll be like kind of a teaching portion and then a preaching portion. So you get some of the teaching on Sunday morning. You can get it from uh, Pastor Phil's uh, Bible studies class or Norris Crozier's uh, Sunday school class. There are places where Bible study and teaching can happen. The life group is not that place. So you do not really need to know the Bible super well to get started with a life group. My hope is that as you go, as you lead these groups and go throughout your life, that you are learning more about God and learning more about the Bible. In fact, I'd probably say um, that's necessary to be growing in that aspect, but it does not require you to know a lot to get started. It doesn't require you to be a biblical scholar um, of any kind. Um, And it also does not, uh, and this is going to be a little shocking, it does not require somebody who is um, particularly mature. You know, there are some people that you see them and you're like, oh man, they're just a great Christian. You know, they they kind of, they've they go through struggles but they hold their head up high um, and they always seem to have the right answer. They seem to have a good head on their shoulders. They seem to be able to handle the problems of life um, with relative ease, you know, um, and they're honest about it. They're open about it and those people are great but you do not need to be there to lead a life group. Um, so you don't need to be particularly mature to be able to facilitate one of these groups because again, what we're doing is you are you are facilitating friendship and you are just like allowing a space where friends can come together. So it's a much more kind of democratic kind of group where everyone has a say, and oftentimes the the leaders of those groups. Um, really just end up organizing them. Oftentimes the groups can kind of take on a life of their own um, and they don't require a lot of strong leadership in the group itself. So um, if you want to get started with one, um, that's we can if you are not particularly mature, that's that's okay because you can actually lean into uh, that vulnerability and you can bring people in um, that are a little bit more mature that can kind of uh, uh, give a wise voice into that into that group. So, it doesn't require you to be some kind of Christian superhero. It doesn't require you to be a biblical scholar. The couple of things that it does require is it does require a desire to grow. So if you are not interested or if you're not serious about um, knowing Jesus and and being better, uh, being a better Christian, then that it's going to fall apart pretty easily. Um, or at least the risk of falling apart is pretty high. Um, so there needs to be some sort of desire to grow, um, and a desire to see others grow in Christ. Um, now that doesn't mean that you are, uh, striving or getting there yourself, right? But it does require a desire. I I am thoroughly ready for God to take away all my sins and I'm thoroughly ready for him to transform me into, um, a more healthy person. It requires that kind of desire. Um, it does require a desire to see other people grow in Christ. Um, and it does require some tools. So, uh, there are a couple of practical things, um, that we need that you need to know, uh, before we enter into a life group. But that's, so the, the kind of person that I'm looking for in a life group leader is someone who wants to learn and wants to grow. Like that's the most important thing to me. If you want to get better, then you can lead a life group and you can be successful. Um, because you are, uh, Because frankly, leading a life group doesn't get you any sort of like celebrity status. (laughs) You know, it doesn't like it doesn't score you points in the church. Um, It doesn't score you points with God. Um, It's not something that you do yeah, to get any sort of status. It's it's really actually kind of humbling because you're essentially submitting yourself to uh, these 8 to 12 other people. Um, that are going to know some of your faults. They're going to know some of your struggles. Um, so it actually requires some humility as well uh, to do that. But I'm looking for people who... The, the A successful life group leader is someone who wants to learn and wants to grow. That's what we need in, in a leader of a life group.
0: Well, hopefully that took off some of that tension. And if you've ever felt that itch to lead, but felt like you were not ready, you were not mature, you were whatever label you're putting on it to stop yourself from doing it. Hopefully this frees you up to step in and lead and walk through life with people. As I went to my own life group last night, I realized how, how this is, this is so very true. Um, we were having this conversation where we're covering the arts of parenting right now. And it really is a, is a great time because we've been very, very transparent in our group about our fears and failures and all these things in, in parenting. And one of the, the parents said, look, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. This stuff is all very new to me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's scary to me to lead my children because I literally am learning with them as I go. And this is exactly what we're talking about is, is that the fear would stop this individual, right? They would say, well, I, I'm not prepared, so I can't teach them anything, so I'm not going to teach them anything. But instead, I love the posture. They said, so I'm just learning with them. Right. So I read through these children's Bibles and I, I learned just as much as them. And, and what a great posture, right? You, you aren't acting out of fear, just stopping yourself from moving forward. You are just moving forward at the same pace as everyone else. And that's, that's the key component is, Mm -hmm. are you willing to move forward? Are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to learn with everyone else? And in the process, you will move forward. You will be more mature. And so will everyone else in that group. But if you don't lead, if you're too scared, uh, no one's moving forward, including yourself. And so I just love that posture that there was just such transparency to say, look, I don't know anything, um, but I'm still trying Mm -hmm. and I'm still willing to even look dumb. And there'll probably be some day when my kid comes home from Sunday school and they know more than me and it will be probably a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. Right. We're all moving forward and we're all on this journey together. So I really, really
1: love that. Yeah, don't forget that um, when when young children were trying to get to Jesus, and all the disciples are saying, "No, no, no, you have to go away." Jesus is busy. Jesus welcomed the young children and he picked them up and put them on his lap, and he blessed them, um, and then he says, um, "Do do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to these." and And then he just he he leaves no wiggle room. He says. If you want to, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to enter it like a child. So you have to be willing to be picked up by God. You have to like give up all self sufficiency. You have to give up all like pride, because the posture of entering into the kingdom of God is one of like total humility. And uh, you have to be willing to be picked up by um, by Jesus. You have to be willing to be blessed by Him. Um, and so that's a great, that's a great attitude, a great posture to have is like, yeah, even like, Hey, someday my kids will probably know more than me about this stuff because, you know, I just, I, I'm a little bit behind. I haven't, you know, haven't spent as much time with this. And that's a, that's a good posture to have, um, as you enter into a life group is that there will be people who know more than you. There are going to be people that are more mature than you. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to mess up. You're not going to get it right. Um, but, but good thing that Jesus doesn't demand um, he doesn't demand us to get everything right. Um, he just demands that we uh, have humility and that he is able to pick us up and to bless us. So we're going to move into a,
0: a little moment of equipping, right? So now you felt the itch, you're willing to lead, you realize it doesn't take a, a superhero, it just takes really a, a willing heart. So we want to equip you now. We want to start the process of preparing you To lead. Obviously, we don't want to send you out there with just a willing heart. We want to give you something, Mm -hmm. some tools to work with. So we're going to talk about uh, really how to organize a life group to really set the stage for to find the success that you're hoping for. So we're going to start with kind of this, this first question is kind of to hone down what is the purpose of a life group or more specifically, what is the purpose of your life group? So go ahead, Pastor Eric. Kind of give us an idea of how we we work through that as leaders.
1: Yeah. So when someone comes up and says, Pastor Eric, I want to do a life group, or we should do life this this kind of life group, and I say that sounds great. Why don't you lead it? Um, I walk them through. We have a sheet that we walk through that kind of highlights all of these things. Um, so essentially, what we're getting, what we're going to get today. Is uh, what we'll work through on that life group forum, Uh, and we start off with talking about the purpose of the life group. So every life group has a purpose statement, a reason that it is um, it exists. And lots of times these life these purpose statements sound kind of similar, use the same kinds of words, because oftentimes life groups are designed for uh, community, for fellowship, um, for encouragement, right? So it's oftentimes a lot of those words. But we always work through. the purpose of the life group. So I'll ask questions like, um, is this life group uh, designed to be more outreach oriented or more discipleship oriented? Which of course, there's always a little bit of both of those things. Um, it's not uh, on our off switch. So are you, are you aiming to bring in people maybe who don't know uh, the faith super well or maybe aren't Christians at all? And then hopefully like through that friendship, um, they come to know Jesus or, or can explore him? Um, or is this more for people who are in the faith and being developed in some of those things. So we asked that question. Uh, we also spend some time thinking about uh, what kind of age age range uh, we're looking for. So again, this is a uh, life groups are natural expressions of Christian community. So we want them to be uh, well, the the language in in this world, in the church world is called affinity based. um not we're not strictly affinity based, um, but essentially we that's the how we operate. So we want, uh, these kinds of Christian friendships to be drawn out of the normal places that we're already at. so for example, uh, yeah Pastor Ben um, and his wife they lead an art of parenting life group. so of course everybody in that group is parents, right so it's like it's a natural expression. everyone's kind of in the same stage in life and so they're they're gathering together around, uh, that commonality and they're exploring that commonality together um, so we kind of ask those questions so what kind of age uh, range are we talking here what kind of life stage are we talking here uh, married single factory worker stay-at-home mom right all those kinds of things like where what is your vocation in life what have you found yourself doing in life um, and then we uh, after we kind of work through that natural expression expression aspect uh, then I ask the question what? What are you hoping to explore in this life group? So some life groups are a little bit more Bible study heavy, and they might feel a little bit more like a Bible study, um, but some life groups have no set curriculum. Uh, we have a couple life groups that utilize my uh, weekly devotional and the questions there. So it's not set the way that they're not reading through a book or reading through a, a, Bi- a book of the Bible or anything like that. Um, some are book studies or other curriculum, uh, much like our art of parenting life groups are. Um, so then we just decide okay, what kind of, what's going to be the feel of this life group? Uh, we have some that are uh, almost completely unstructured. They're just conversations um, about life and some of those things. Um, so then we kind of figure that out. And then once we get to that point, then we have a pretty good idea of what the purpose of this life group is. It is for, um, those who maybe are younger in the faith, weaker in the faith, um, or not in the faith at all, it's for, you know, um, uh, single, whatever, men who are kind of blue collar. So we're going to meet at the Whiskey Barrel Saloon on Friday nights, right? Whatever, whatever it might be, um, you generally have a good purpose statement. So um, you kind of figure out what what you're trying to do in the life group, what you're trying to accomplish through the life group, if it's for uh, the development of of uh, kind of for the development of Christians that are really, you know, uh, they're a little bit more, more steady, more foundational. That's great. If it's for purely outreach, that's great. If it's going to be a Bible study, that's great. But we find out what you're looking to accomplish and then we write a purpose statement from that. So that's the first thing that we work through, um, with that. And then we move on, um, to discussing, um, issues of size. Uh, so we, um, I, I, I have fairly fast and loose opinions about uh, the size of these kinds of small groups. To me, a small group can be anything between like 2 and 25. Um, Obviously, uh, having two people is a challenge and having 25 people is a challenge. Um, So kind of the sweet spot for a life group, I think, is between that 8 and 12, kind of getting to the, the max kind of like 16 um if we're kind of in that range then we're doing pretty good that's small enough that we can um still have good conversation you know you can also get down to like 6 or so you can still have good conversations um if some people can't make it you can still have those good conversations you don't drop down to just being one or two of you um so we really want to get about that 8 number is about where we want to hit and then that 8 to 12 is kind of the sweet spot and then once we get up to that, like that 16 number, then we need to start having the conversation of splitting that group and having two, two life groups of eight. Um, so then we work through um, that and I just kind of coach them on that. Uh, usually when life groups start, um, there's a fairly uh, – we do some recruiting. So the leader will go out and like talk to people about the life group that they're starting and, and kind of recruit some people to join them. So usually we have a pretty good start established uh, to those life groups. Um, and then we move on to, uh, talking about where and when they'll meet. Um, so life groups, um, our life groups. Now we have some life groups that meet every week, some that meet every other week, some that meet once a month. Um, I think that that every other week is kind of the, the, the right, the right one. Um, of course there's a place for meeting every week. There's a place for meeting less often than that. Um, but I feel like that every other week is sustainable because then it's, it's not as demanding, um, on the participants, not as demanding on the participants, um, and on the, the facilitator, um, on everyone's time. And that kind of allows them, um, some freedom then to do other things as well. So, uh, I kind of suggest the every other week, um, but people make their own decisions on that. Um, and then um, after that, we work through what kind of curriculum they're going to use. Uh, so I kind of walk them through right now media. I have kind of a pool of videos, of uh, video Bible studies that I think are good. Um, we talk about books if they want to do a book study, all those sorts of things. So I just kind of help identify some sort of curriculum for the for the group depending on the experience of the leader, how, how good they feel about um, if they're a little bit more strong And like the teaching aspect, then we can find a more kind of didactic information-based Bible study if they want to do that, if that's the purpose of the life group. Um, Or we can be as loose as, hey, here's, you know, the discipleship moment, the weekly devotional, you know, read through this together and do that. We can kind of, there's lots of freedom in how we choose that, but we oftentimes utilize right now media. Then the next thing is just the follow-up is just launching it, making it happen, communicating to people. Um meeting regularly uh trying not to miss or skip or move move the life group around um but try to be very like dogged and and when you meet um and uh and keeping up really good communication so everyone's on the same page about it so that's really what we do um that first bulk the purpose talking about the size time and place in the curriculum that's kind of the bulk of getting started and then um i'll do some coaching about communication and um kind of keeping that life group propped up so that it can be successful on on the back end.
0: All right, well, hopefully you were able to move forward in your understanding of life groups and leading life groups and maybe are willing to take that next step. And so we will see you back here next week as we continue this conversation and continue to equip you in your journey as you lead and participate in life groups. Until then, I have been Pastor Ben and Pastor Eric has been leading you through this conversation and we hope to see you next week.